Hello, and thank you for joining the Cairo Union podcast. This is Dr. B.J. Roca, and first off in today's episode, I just wanted to address the span of time that's passed since my last post. I wasn't particularly satisfied with the amount of time it took to record and edit an episode, and I also wasn't very thrilled with the quality of the product that resulted from the investment of time. First, I tried uh, rebuilding the studio and creating a new process that still involved the same hardware and software and general process of creating an episode, uh, and that didn't work. So now I'm just taking an entirely new approach, new software, new hardware, and giving it another shot here. The focus of today's episode will be on Medicaid, Medicare, and the Office of the Inspector General and the federal government and the role of chiropractic as a profession. Um, I was inspired by a number of cases that were being discussed in the news in regards to Medicare fraud and also a recent study that was published by the Office of the Inspector General, which just led to me investigating the federal government, Medicare, and just looking at all of the reports and research that was available, uh, which date back to 1989. So I'm going to do my best to go over the findings of these uh, reports uh, and explain uh, the best I can the role they've played in the profession as it is today. So the Office of the Inspector General itself is kind of interesting. It's not a particular department per se, but more an office within the departments. So there's an Office of the Inspector General in the Agriculture Department. There's an Office of the Inspector General within the Health and Human Services Department. And that is where, obviously, chiropractic would fall. It's one of the larger and uh, older offices of the federal government, the Office of the Inspector General, and of the Offices of Inspector General. The one, uh, the Health and Human Services one, uh, is among the largest and oldest. In 1989, they first started their investigation of the chiropractic profession. They reported to the federal government that our licensure and disciplinary associations or state boards were understaffed and underfunded. And that obviously is a problem that persists today. Um, Ohio, in Ohio, there's been a number of instances of doctors of chiropractic that were sexual predators. And they had been investigated by police officers. They had a number of victims. They had a number of complaints. But they were allowed to maintain their licenses. They were allowed to continue practicing. And they felt that the Ohio State Board was not protecting the public. They were failing to do their part in protecting the public from sexual predators. And that is a result of a lack of funding and a lack of staffing. There's only so much that a couple of individuals may be able to accomplish. I myself, uh, along with Cairo Union, took the time to contact and reach out to all state boards and all regulatory agencies. And they all reported a very small staff, and tremendous amount of underfunding, more work than they could possibly accomplish. And that's how you wind up with people seeking licenses uh, that take four, five, six months in order to get their license uh, so that they can work because the place where they go to get their license is understaffed and overworked and underfunded uh, so that it's just takes time in order to process the application completely and correctly and issue a license so that someone can get to work. That's a real problem when people are moving around the country or uh, coming out of school and they need to earn an income if they cannot get a license in order to practice within a timely manner. And it's very common that you'll hear stories and talk to people who have taken many months in order to get their license. And It is not uncommon to have a number of outstanding complaints at state boards because there's a limited number of people that can investigate the complaints. And you'll see that time and again 
where it was a lack of action on behalf of the state board that led to uh, more serious problems as a result. In 1989, the Office of the Inspector General also addressed the diversity among the states and the disorganized nature of the state boards and regulatory agencies because of the varied scope of practices among the states. The best example of that I can see is Oregon, where you could easily uh, be a chiropractor that is licensed to perform minor surgery while in a bordering state in Washington. It's not even possible for a doctor of chiropractic to use light, uh, I'm sorry, can only use light, but cannot use electricity or sound as modalities. They cannot introduce electricity or sound to the human body. They can only uh, use light and light energy and manual manipulation of the spine uh, within their scope of practice. And this diversity among requirements and scope of practice leads to confusion among the public about the role of the doctor chiropractic in healthcare. And really, again, nothing has changed since 1989. That's still an obvious truth today. Today, it's more of a serious issue because our society has become uh, technologically, our geographic footprint of where we draw our knowledge from, of our social network, the geographic footprint of that has greatly grown in recent decades. The people you interact with on a regular basis, the people you discuss things with, the people you draw your knowledge from, the people that you debate things with can be scattered all across the country now via social media and the internet when in 1989, pre-internet, it would have been much more likely that you would have drawn your knowledge from and debated topics or had discussions with people that were in your immediate area. The, your immediate geographic location played a much larger role in what influenced your thought and action compared to today where the geographic region that may influence your thoughts and actions uh, are, can, can be unbound or much more likely to be uh, unbound by geographic restrictions. So therefore you have a much larger geographic footprint. And when that includes multiple states, the word chiropractic and the practice of chiropractic have very different meanings, which leads to confusion about the role of the doctor of chiropractic in healthcare today. At the time, they found that nearly all complaints and, and disciplinary action taken against doctors of chiropractic were in regards to billing and advertising abuse. They pointed out that the complaints against the D.C., uh, for clinical insufficiency were extremely rare. However, at the same time, they were quick to mention that doctors of chiropractic were the most likely healthcare provider to be disciplined. So you were the doctors of chiropractic were the least likely to cause harm or were the highest trained and, and most efficient clinically. Clinically, they were doing an extremely well job. But in terms of billing and advertising, they were the one most likely uh, to be disciplined. Uh, that's a interesting quality of the doctor of chiropractic. Uh, it's a secondary um, harm. They're not directly causing harm to the patient. They're indirectly causing harm in their billing and advertising practices. Um, and that we're on both sides of the spectrum. We were both, it was extremely rare that there would be a clinical insufficiency in the care delivered by a doctor of chiropractic, but at the same time, they were the most likely to be accused of uh, abusing billing and advertising practices uh, among all healthcare providers. The conclusion of this initial report in 1989, the Office of the Inspector General asked for better funding for the state governments uh, so that they could better regulate uh, chiropractic uh, through the state boards and licensing agencies. Uh, they suggested that the ICA and the ACA work together, uh, work together to establish a more effective state, as state association network that could work closely with these boards and the state regulatory agencies. Now, of course, none of that has happened. We're still in the same position 
that we were in 1989. The ICA and ACA don't work together. They remain the only voices of the profession, and they spend most of their time arguing amongst themselves, justifying their own need, and do very little to work with the state boards. And I can say that definitively because I have reached out to all the state associations and to all the state boards and could not find an example of them working together in any meaningful way. Uh, most of the time, the most common answer is that the relatively small staff of the state board had never communicated with the state association in any way. And unfortunately, the most common response from state associations is that they are simply understaffed and underfunded to be able to do much of anything other than what they're already doing, which is essentially attending meetings and doing the best they can to present what they feel would be a good agenda for the chiropractic profession in their state. But even their agendas are more about sounding good than actually being good. Um, and it was 10 more years before the Office of the Inspector General issued another report on chiropractic. And what they did at that time in 1999 was present essentially facts about how many people were under chiropractic care and they compared managed care to fee-for-service care. And, uh, you know, they just some of the information that was released, I think it should be relatively obvious. Those that had managed care benefits uh, received 12 chiropractic visits per year in 1996, whereas fee-for-service beneficiaries received nine. Now, of course, we're talking statistically and on average. Uh, fee-for-services accounted for uh, that sought chiropractic care was only 1.3% of beneficiaries, while managed care was 4.16% of managed care bene uh, beneficiaries. So of the pool, a larger percentage of the pool sought care when it was through a plan, uh, a Medicare-managed care organization, compared to a fee-for-service. And these numbers were consistent over 1995 and 1996 meaning that uh, the average number of treatments and the percentage of the pool of people that could seek chiropractic care remain pretty much unchanged over those two years. So it should be fairly obvious that when there are benefits, people tend to take advantage of them compared to when uh, they need to pay a fee for service. In the year 2000, they expanded upon that study and found that... Um, managed care compared to fee-for-service um, you know just continued to investigate the percentage of people that used um, or took advantage of their benefits compared to those that didn't and we're dealing with extraordinarily small numbers um, Of the cases or of the plans that they assessed, all 244 managed care risk plans that responded to the survey provided a chiropractic benefit from any manipulation of the spine to correct a subluxation. Of those 244 plans, 231 of them used both chiropractors and other providers to perform chiropractic services. Now, this is in the year 2000. Other providers included osteopaths, doctors of medicine, osteopedists, physical therapists, physiatrists, and rheumatologists. Of the other 13 plans, the remaining 13 plans of the 244, they did not use chiropractors but relied solely on other providers, meaning the DO, the DPT, uh, and the rheumatologist and the physiatrist, to perform chiropractic services. So this is a growing trend since the year 2000. You'll run into this more with licensed massage therapists where the patient is under the impression that they have a massage benefit. You contact the insurance company and they inform the patient and the office that the patient has 13, 24, 12, some number of massage visits per year included in their plan. But then you submit the claim and they only cover the massage benefit or the chiropractic benefit if the therapy is delivered by a DO, a DPT, an occupational therapist, a speech therapist, or some other type of provider. 
it's particularly funny to me that they would pay for an hour massage delivered by a speech therapist before they and will not pay for a one hour massage or half hour massage or 15 minute massage delivered by a licensed massage therapist. So they had discovered and they were exploiting a way in which they could sell the benefit to the patient without actually paying for the benefit. It's a dirty trick, in my opinion, but just like those 13 plans did in the year 2000, they sold the patient the idea that they had chiropractic benefits and that they could receive chiropractic care, but they would not pay a chiropractor to deliver those services. They would have they would have had to receive the services from an osteopath, an MD, a TPT, or uh, a physiatrist. I'm unaware of what that number is today, but I believe in all likelihood it is greater than 13. In the year 2009, they looked at inappropriate Medicare payments for chiropractic services. They found that 83% of chiropractic claims failed to meet one or more of the documentation requirements. Consequently, the appropriate use of the AT modifier could not be definitively determined through medical review. Essentially, the use of the AT modifier is what boils down to the problem in Medicare billing and documentation for doctors of chiropractic. This is where the guru and the Medicare specialist and the fraud come into play. It's strictly with the AT modifier. As you may or may not know, if it's active care, it's covered by Medicare. If it's not active care, it's not covered by Medicare. So how do you document active care How do you, or active treatment? Um, that's where the gray area falls, and that's where the guru and these Medicare fraudsters uh, make their money, and they may lead you down a dangerous path. The reason why the Office of the Inspector General uh, is in so many different branches of the government, why they continue to persist is because it is a wise investment. For every dollar that is spent on the Office of the Invest uh, Investigative General to uh, seek out fraud and abuse, uh, they collect $13. So it's in the best interest of the American people and the federal government to fund the Office of the Inspector General and to follow through on their recommendations and to allow them to do the work that they do because for every dollar they spend, they bring back 13. And this is how they're doing it to doctors of chiropractic. In 2006, they found that Medicare had inappropriately paid for a total of $178 million out of a possible $466 million for chiropractic claims or services that were maintenance therapy. Uh, they also found that $11 million was miscoded, $46 million was completely undocumented, and that these claims represent 47% of the allowed chiropractic claims that met the study's criteria of doctors of chiropractic providing more than 12 visits to the same beneficiary during that year, 2006. 17% of the reviewed claims representing $36 million had multiple errors and didn't fall into any of those categories. So this talk in terms of percentages, 18% were miscoded completely, 11% were totally undocumented, 36% were actually maintenance care and not active care, and meaning that 64% of paid claims, not of all claims, just of paid claims, or $213 million was inappropriate, and that a significant portion of that inappropriate payment was outright fraud. In terms of the AT modifier, that's really going to land, if you're not using it properly and you're not being honest, that's what's going to land you in the most trouble. In 2003, the total percentage of chiropractic claims with the AT modifier was only 6%. That grew to 34% by 2004. And by 2005, 99.8% of all chiropractic claims included the AT modifier. Now that's shocking to me, considering that chiropractors have such a reputation for the impossibility, incapability of working together and agreeing on anything. Yet by somehow, over a very short period of time, from 2003 until 2005, 
we went from only 6% of claims having the AT modifier to, in 2005, 99.8% of all chiropractors using the AT modifier on all claims submitted to Medicare. 99.8%. So there was a rapid growth in the use of that modifier. And they point to that being an improper use. So they provide these facts and figures to the federal government, and the federal government asks a question. Should we use targeted tactics to curb the questionable and inappropriate payments for chiropractic services? They, the government, the secretary, the undersecretary, all the people that, they, that ask the questions and make the policy, we're getting the numbers from the Office of the Inspector General. So then they answered back, should we, which led to more questions. And the next que reasonable question was, should we use targeted tactics to try and stop this behavior and curb these questionable payments? So the Office of the Inspector General responded with more facts about the chiropractic profession and inappropriate payments. They suggested that 40 to 47% of all paid claims were for maintenance care and should be considered fraud. That's a serious uh, chunk of all chiropractic claims. They're claiming that uh, essentially half of chiropractic care is fraud to the federal government. And uh, the federal government is asking, is there something, should we do something about it? Now, the, invest the Office of the Inspector General was also uh, quick to point out that a very small number of chiropractors are actually responsible for the majority of these fraudulent claims. Of, this, of the cases surveyed and of the claims surveyed, they found that $76 million of the questionable payments made to chiropractors were only uh, paid to or by, we're only paid to 2% of chiropractors. So 2% of all the chiropractors submitting claims to, to Medicare were responsible for nearly half of the questionable payments. So that was a very few number of doctors that were committing the fraud. One of the factors that they correlated to the fraudulent payments and the inappropriate payments and the overbilling was the practice of having patients receive both physical and or occupational therapy the same day that they were treated by doctors of chiropractic and received chiropractic care. So it's not to say that all doctors of chiropractic or all offices that have their patients receive both physical therapy and or occupational therapy at the same time or at the same visit on the same day that they're receiving chiropractic care and then bill Medicare for it appropriately are committing fraud, but that those doctors which are using that process where the patient comes in, receives chiropractic care and or physical therapy on the same visit of the same day, they are much more likely to be among the 2% of chiropractors that are responsible for uh, more than half of the fraudulent payments being made to doctors of chiropractic for chiropractic care. In 2013, Medicare paid $502 million for chiropractic services, which were provided by 45,490 chiropractors to almost 2 million beneficiaries. In just November of 2013, they found that Medicare had inappropriately paid more than $700,000 to an individual California chiropractor and that those payments for services were medically unnecessary, incorrectly coded, undocumented claims. So you can see how if you were to chart or divide, so you have a whole pie that's $502 million that was paid to chiropractic, and you divide that into 400, or I'm sorry, 45,490 chiropractors, how this one chiropractor that had built that had collected more than seven hundred thousand dollars in a month would have fallen way outside the norm. He would have been an outlier for the amount of money that he was billing to Medicare and collecting from Medicare on a monthly basis. 
So, of course, he was investigated. And when he was investigated, they found that the payments he, was, the payments he received were for medically unnecessary care. His documentation was lacking or insufficient or completely absent. And that, he wasn't, and that the chiropractor was not coding properly. In 2012, a chiropractor was sentenced to two years in prison for billing over $8.5 million to Medicaid and Medicare over three years for chiropractic and physical therapy services. So again, that's a very large chunk of the pie for an individual chiropractor. So that big number, the $8.5 million over three years, is an outlier. He's among that 2% that and are doing both chiropractic and physical therapy services on an individual visit so that they were investigated and they were able to recoup a significant amount of money from that chiropractor that was sentenced to prison. So this is how the Office of the Investigative General spends a dollar and brings in 13. In 2014, another chiropractor was sentenced to five years in prison for falsely billing claims to Medicare and private insurance by using the names of other providers who he employed to bill for services that he was not qualified to perform. This is, an, again, another gray area. Um, well, can you employ people to provide services that you're unqualified to perform? Uh, is it or is it not legal? How can you do it legally? These are gray areas and you don't want to err on you need to err on the side of caution not on the side of fraud um, and this raises yet another red flag uh, or it's the same red flag as chiropractors billing for more services per day than a, than could have reasonably been provided according to medicare a chiropractic visit should take a certain amount of time and if you are seeing more patients and billing for more appointments than you are physically capable of performing in a day. It's a red flag, and it's an obvious red flag. It's a mathematical red flag. They don't need someone to review each individual claim. They just need to tell the computer if this chiropractor or this physical therapist or Medicare provider is providing more services than should be feasibly done in, in a day, meaning you sent in 35 or 40 claims for one day's work, then the computer will automatically flag it as something that should be investigated. In this survey, they found that between the year 2000 and 2014, the rate of improper payment for chiropractic services increased from 43% to 51%. So the problem was getting worse. And at the same time, the percent of overall improper payments for, for all Part B services, regardless of provider type, remain constant. So the, the overall improper payments made by Medicare to all providers in terms of a percentage remained relatively flat between 2010 and 2014, but they could, they could definitively say that the rate of improper payment to chiropractors had increased more than 10%. They also looked at the possibility of sharing beneficiaries. In 2013, Medicare had paid $25.7 million to chiropractors who shared 52% or more of the beneficiaries they treated with other chiropractors. These four of in that pool Oh, there was a, uh, a there's so we have, uh, let's just go over that one more time, eliminate confusion and the jumbling of my uh, presentation. So they're looking at the potential of sharing beneficiaries. And in 2013, Medicare had paid $25.7 million to chiropractors who had shared 52.5% or more of their beneficiaries that were treated with other chiropractors. That had happened with a total of 4,206 chiropractors, which represents 9% of all the chiropractors that had been paid by Medicare in 2013. In contrast, 
chiropractors who did not have questionable payments for beneficiaries had an average of 14% of their beneficiaries who received services from other chiropractors. So again, you wind up with this small percentage, this small number of chiropractors, only fourth, only 9% of chiropractors. But for some reason, in that pool of chiropractors, they had shared care with other chiropractors more than half of the time. So it seemed as though there was some collusion, <clears throat> seemed as though there's, there's some type of collusion going on with those in, in, between, uh, in between or with those individual chiropractors within that pool, especially when you contrast it to the rest of the chiropractors, which would be more than 90% of chiropractors, only a small percentage of their patients had, been, had received care from other chiropractors. So it was just a unique quality of this small pool. In 2013, 962 of the 45,490 chiropractors paid by Medicare received 38 of the $76 million in questionable payments. So only, you know, only 900 of the, of the more than 45,000 received more than half of the questionable payments. What it boils down to, if you look at it further, and there's some charts and there's some other things that they provided within their report, that pool of what they called high-risk chiropractors, those 962 chiropractors, 87% of their payments were marked as questionable. So they're identifying a smaller and smaller group of abusers. But those abusers are what create problems for the entire profession. Those 962 chiropractors that whose 80 who 87% of their payments are questionable. Because then you can say things like on average chiropractors with high questionable payments provided chiropractic services to twice the number of beneficiaries compared to all other chiropractors. So of those 962 chiropractors, the high questionable payment chiropractors, their patients receive twice the number of visits as other chiropractors. In addition, the chiropractors with high questionable payment rates had about four times the number of paid chiropractic claims when compared to all other chiropractors. A very small percentage of the, of the population taking a disproportionate amount of the payments. And most of their payments were deemed to be fraudulent upwards of 84%. The majority of the that they're seeing they, they claim to be seeing more patients, they claim to be providing more services. They bill for them at a rate far higher than other chiropractors and they find that the majority of those claims are improper. Most chiropractors, more than 80%, do not have any questionable payments. So most of the time most chiropractors are doing the right thing. There was a direct correlation between the volume of claims and the number of beneficiaries and the amount of fraud. So the more volume, the higher the volume of claims, the more likely they were to be fraudulent claims. So these are mathematical, statistical analysis of claims that lead to fraud that the Office of the Investigative General will go after. Chiropractors that saw an average number of patients rarely had any questionable claims. So they're saying that the doctors of chiropractic that fell within the norm, that fell within the average, they rarely had any, any questionable claims. They rarely committed any fraud. And the chiropractors that saw double the number of average, so not, like, not just barely outside the norm, but double the norm, that those chiropractors accounted for the majority of questionable claims. And that's only 14% of chiropractors. So the, various, uh, the top 14% of chiropractors in terms of volume, they accounted for the majority of questionable claims. In fact, it was four times uh, the number of average patients accounted for the highest percentage of questionable claims. It would even get close to 100. So it, 
as it went up, as the number of claims, the number of volumes go, the, the, as the volume of claims increases, the percentage of questionable claims also increase to the point where it reaches nearly 100%. So those at the very top are nearly 100%. If you're just barely outside the, the norm, you might, just have, you might only have a few questionable claims. But if you're four times or more outside the norm, nearly 100% of your claims are found to be questionable. The high fraud group has been identified as 962 of the 44,528 chiropractors at the time of this study. This small group is a scar on the face of chiropractic. They deliver four times the number of office visits to twice as many patients, and nearly 100% of the claims are, quote, questionable, or what the Office of the Inspector General would use the term questionable in place of the term fraud. They wanted to fall just short of claiming that, that all of these people were committing fraud. But the numbers that they're using and the things that they're supporting all indicate fraud. 3% of all chiropractors receive 90% of the payments for code 98942. So again, we're finding that this group of people known as chiropractic that can't agree on anything all seem to be following a very simple and very similar recipe. Use your AT modifier and bill for 98942. Use the same code, use the same modifier. They also found other disturbing trends in the chiropractic billing involving physical and occupational therapy. So again, when you start mixing in services, this is another red flag. The average payment to therapists who, for beneficiaries who received same-day services from chiropractors with high questionable payments was five times higher than the average payment to therapists for other beneficiaries. Moreover, 90% of the $10.6 million in payments for same-day therapies was paid to therapists in strike force areas, and Medicare paid just over half of that amount to only 16 therapists. So the, they've actually identified the geographic regions in which these doctors are located, and they were able to target, uh, just using math and statistical data, 16 individuals that are responsible for more than $5 million in fraud in those few cities. These strike force areas are physical locations where the levels of fraud and abuse are much higher than other areas. Some of the, some of the cities on the strike force uh, areas would include places like Queens, Los Angeles, Chicago. Uh, they're just much more likely to find fraud in a city such as Chicago or L.A. than you are, say, a small city you know, uh, in the Midwest, there's just only a couple chiropractors, a small po uh, patient population. It's just not as likely to find fraud in those areas. Uh, these advanced analytical techniques uh, bring to light this quote, you know, bad group of chiropractors that are committing fraud on a regular basis is growing in number. Uh, and in their uh, brazenness, uh, when they get away with stealing uh, $100 from Medicare, the next year they steal 1000 After they get away with stealing 1000 they steal 10000 And the D.C. becomes <clears throat> convinced that this is okay, or they'd somehow justify it in their mind so that they don't feel bad about their actions. They start to lose remorse for their actions, and they build up this false narrative that Everybody is doing it. There's people talking about it in CE. There's people holding classes and educating people on how to do it. Uh, and then three or four years into the process, you wind up uh, with a doctor that is now uh, stealing uh, many thousands of dollars per month from Medicare and doesn't feel like they're doing anything wrong. Uh, it turns from, let me try this technique once or twice, uh, then starts to become uh, the mainstay of the practice and how the practice actually operates and how they do their documentation <clears throat> and how they do uh, their office procedures and their patient flow. Uh, and the, oh, it was a mistake or, oh, I didn't understand, that uh, excuse is just not, it's falling on deaf ears uh, because it's becoming 
so much of a problem in such a small number of people. Uh, of all the mistakes that could be made processing individual claims, uh, each of those account for less than 1% of all errors. But the improper modifier and other errors that result in overpayment or inappropriate payment, they account for 38% of errors. So it seems to, you know, if you're going to make a mistake and it's just the result of a mistake, then these mistakes should account for roughly 1% of errors, just like all the other mistakes that can result, uh, you know, as a, 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 that can happen as a result of just processing claims. Um, but it, it's 38 times higher. You're 38 times more likely to make an error that would result in improper payment than you are to make an error that would not result in improper payment. It's much like the insurance company that magically loses your paperwork every single time on every single patient. They are much more likely to make an error that results in you not being paid than they are to make an error that does result in you getting paid. So that it's just wearing thin. They're not it's not it not it's not an acceptable excuse that oh I simply made a mistake or I didn't know. Uh, payments to chiropractors with these high questionable payment rates, those 962 doctors, um, compared to all other chiropractors, uh, 4,521, the average amount paid per chiropractor, 45,313 is the questionable group, while 10,303 uh, are all other chiropractors. Um, it's, it's everything winds up being, the numbers just get dramatically higher uh, in this questionable uh, payment group, in this small group of chiropractors that seem to be committing the highest amount of fraud. The chiropractors with high questionable payments also received a total of nearly $100 million in questionable payments from the years 2009 to 2012. In addition, almost half of the chiropractors with questionable payments in 2013 had at least one questionable payment in each year between 2009 and 2012, thus demonstrating that these chiropractors had a consistent pattern of questionable payments over a five-year span. So that when it's not that these people are making this mistake once uh, or made a mistake for a month or for two months and then figured it out and then corrected it. It's a growing problem, and it persists over a long period of time, and that's how you wind up with doctors being charged with fraud uh, for tens of millions of dollars or for $8 million or $5 million. Uh, it is allowed to grow over time, and the problem gets worse over time. 60% of chiropractors with high questionable payment rates, that those same 962 doctors, they had two or more beneficiaries who received same-day therapies. In contrast, just 24% of chiropractors without questionable payment rates had two or more beneficiaries who received same-day therapy services. So that's why that same-day therapy becomes a red flag. 62% of the people with questionable payments provide multiple services on the same day. <clears throat> when That's three times as many as average of the chiropractors that do not have questionable payments. In addition, these payments to therapists appear to be concentrated, <clears throat> excuse me, seem to be concentrated in amount and in location. I mean, the average payment to therapists for beneficiaries who receive same-day services from chiropractors with high questionable payments was five times higher than average payments to therapists for other beneficiaries. Moreover, 90% of the $10 million in Medicare payments for same-day services was paid to therapists in the strike force area with just over half of this amount going to only 16 people. So of the people, you know, of the patients and the claims that meet this criteria of multiple services uh, on a same day and the high volume, if they were also a high volume patient, 90% wound up going to strike force areas and just over half were only 16 individuals. So a very small number of people. The average payment to therapists for beneficiaries who receive same-day services from chiropractors... Oh, I just read that. Excuse me. 
so then this is where the uh, inspiration comes from for the pre-authorization. And the office of the inspector general said really the only way to, to fix this problem and to solve this problem will be to implement a prior authorization medical review. Uh, and that would resolve the problems that they were able to identify in this case. Now to this point, CMS or Medicare has yet to implement a prior authorization or medical review for chiropractic services, but they have been mandated to do so, and it remains on the table. They just don't believe that there is a feasible way in order to do that efficiently, meaning that it would be worth the investment. Because if, it, if you're going to save $100 million, but it's going to cost $200 million in order to man create and manage the system for pre-authorization, you're better off just paying the $100 million in improper payments. So then they follow up on their recommendations that haven't been taken, and they present their next study in the fiscal year 2013. They investigated the hundreds of millions of dollars in Medicare payments for chiropractic services did not comply with Medicare requirements. So that Medicare has requirements that the the, that chiropractic care is supposed to meet, but yet they're still paying for hundreds of millions of dollars in chiropractic services that do not meet those same requirements they have in place, which is why they continue to press for a pre-authorization program. In 2013, Medicare Part B paid approximately $439 for chiropractic services to Medicare beneficiaries worldwide. I'm sorry, nationwide. They took a sample of 105 uh, cases. Of the 105, 11 were allowed in accordance with requirements. However, the remaining 94 were not allowable. All 105 services had the AT modifier. Remember, 99.8% of chiropractors use the AT modifier on all of their claims. So that was consistent in this study of the 105 that they sampled. But unfortunately, only 11 of the 105 payments made were were in accordance with the requirements according to Medicare, and then 94 were not allowed. When they asked for documentation to support these claims, 94% were unable to provide medical, uh, this, were able to, 94 of the 105 uh, cases the chiropractor could not support medical necessity of the services that they billed for or the use of the AT modifier. On the basis of the sample results, they estimated that 358, or approximately 82% of the 40, I'm sorry, $438 million paid by Medicare for chiropractic services was unallowable according to current Medicare uh, guidelines. In 2013, the $438 million was paid for 17,043,147 chiropractic services. So if you want to do the math, you can figure it out. But you can see how, over time, the Office of the Inspector General is using analytics and they're using targeted tactics in order to go after these fraudsters. And it's going to, they've, it's already gotten to the point where it's been mandated to impact all doctors of chiropractic by requiring a pre-authorization. They want to take away or they want to limit Medicare's, uh, chiropractor's access to Medicare. This is detrimental because we know that when people have the benefit, they are more likely to see, they're twice as likely to see the chiropractor and they go more often. So if your goal is to have more people under more regular chiropractic care, then you want as many people under, uh, under to have benefits as possible. And you want to expound upon those chiropractic benefits. You don't want to limit those benefits because too often the guru is out there, one, teaching you how to play the Medicare game. You should be very cautious of that because you could fall into one of these categories and if you do, you could be subject of investigation because the Office of the Inspector General needs to collect money in order to justify their existence. And they do, and they're very good at it. And they collect $13 for every dollar they spend investigating doctors of chiropractic. So 
you don't want to be one of these people that that get identified and are subject to investigation simply for falling into one of these categories, one of these high-volume categories. And a lot of these gurus out there are pitching high-volume practice and how to document your high-volume practice. And just because some guru gets up on stage and tells you this is what you should do and how you should do it, that doesn't mean that it's legal, it doesn't mean it's legitimate, it doesn't mean that it will serve you or the profession well because it can land you in jail and it can land the entire profession with a pre-authorization requirement limiting the number of people that have access to chiropractic care needlessly because we already know that the majority of complaints are not for clinical uh, are not, not for subclinical practices that clinically the doctor of chiropractic provides excellent service and that the patients are overwhelmingly satisfied and receive an excellent benefit. It's just the abuse of billing practices by unethical chiropractors that create the problem that needs to be solved, which is the abuse. So that was the uh, my uh, journey down the rabbit hole of Office of the Inspector General's investigation and opinion of the, of the chiropractic profession. And, uh, I, you know, it's unfortunate that since 1989, uh, we have not been able to address some of the most obvious uh, problems with our profession and that the problems continue to get worse, but that an organized profession, a union of chiropractors, uh, could work together in order to uh, develop relationships with our regulatory agencies, our state boards, uh, clarify the role of chiropractic in the healthcare system today, and um, bring action against these insurance companies that sell chiropractic benefits to their members but do not pay doctors of chiropractic for delivering those services, uh, and uh, also establish a standard of care and business ethics and billing practices to ensure that a very small number of chiropractors don't ruin it for the rest of us by abusing the system and unethical practices. So thank you very much. I hope that you find this information uh, useful and uh, you consider it when uh, in your daily practice and when it comes time to spend your continuing education dollar when it comes time to uh, decide who you're going to support, uh, realize you know if an organization is being run by or has board members that have been convicted of Medicare fraud, maybe you don't support those organizations. When someone's going to tell you uh, how to support your AT modifier and get paid on more of your Medicare patients quicker, that maybe you're not. Uh, maybe it will put a couple dollars in your pocket immediately but that in five years or six years or ten years you might find yourself on the wrong side of an analytical data research project and be the vic and be the target of an investigation and an audit and that audit could result in you owing the federal government uh, the vast majority of that money it could put you in a, in a very precarious situation these gurus uh, these continuing education scams uh, these online experts they don't have the uh, best interest of you or the profession in mind. They have one thing in mind, and that's putting money in their pocket. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate your time. Uh, be kind, be cool, be careful. <laughs>